Anyway, so I drove up to Glencoe, parked my car, got the waders on, and started walking across the the moor to the to this river. And there was already someone out there, and I thought, I wonder if it's a fisherman. And it wasn't. It was a, it was a another another photographer who also mm-hmm. happened to be wearing waders. And I thought, eh, this guy's got the same idea as me. So waded out in the water. I mean, you, naturally, you got you got I got chatting and stuff like that. Uh, and the slightly amusing part was, oh, we got said, well, what's your what's your name? And he went, oh, my name's Johnny. I went, oh. Nice to meet you, Johnny. Uh, I says, I'm Julian, Julian Baird. And he went, no. He went, why? He says, oh, I'm, I'm Johnny Baird. And I went, no way. <laughs> you're Johnny Baird. <laughs> you're, you're Johnny Baird. I said, even for, even that, my brother is called Johnny Baird as well. So we got chatting as well. A couple of Bairds in, in, in these waders stood in the middle of this freezing river in Glencoe. I don't know who you are, but welcome to the Irish Photography Podcast. Sit back. Relax and listen about cameras, gear, settings, stories, and all things photography. Join Darren on Ireland's Best Photography Podcast. Let's go. Welcome to the Irish Photography Podcast, Julian Baird. Julian, how are you, buddy? I'm all right, Darren. Yourself? I'm very good now. I'm very good. Are we still allowed to say Happy New Year? Is it going to be too far past? What do you think? I don't know. Let's just say yes. So Happy New Year to you, mate. Happy New Year to you too. Happy New Year to you. I hope all your dreams come true in 2022. Well, <laughs> that would be nice. It's an uh, unlikely, but uh, let's go on that basis anyway. Yeah, well, you know what? Half the battle is thinking that it's going to happen. So I think we've, we've half halfway winning on that battle in here for a start. So Good positive mental attitude, mate. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So look, I'm really, really delighted to have you on the podcast. I'm really looking forward to having the conversation this evening. Your work has been something that I've been following for a long time, and we'll get into that in detail during the podcast as well also. So first and foremost, thanks for coming on. And secondly, in case somebody doesn't know, who is Julian? Who is Julian? Well, first of all, thank you for inviting me. It's a, it's a great pleasure to be uh on the show. I've been listening for quite some time now, so it feels a bit of an honour to be on here. So Hello. yeah, uh, I'm, I'm Julian Baird. I'm a I, I classify myself as a as a landscape photographer. Uh, okay. I live in Devon with my uh, wife wife and two kids. Uh, as you can tell from the accent, though, I'm not originally from the southwest of England. I, was, uh, I, I grew up in Scotland, born in Scotland, grew up there, and I moved down to Devon uh, just over to, over ten years ago now. So I'm very much settled down here, uh, and I'm a uh, yeah a passionate landscape photographer. Um, I, I really enjoy photography. Uh, pretty well, everything about photography—the complete process. You know, I like the the planning, the going out there, taking the photographs, processing it, and and printing it, and talking about it as well. Mm. Hence the reason, probably one of the reasons I'm on this show. I, I love to talk about photography, uh, whether that's through s- stories or videos or pictures. You know, I want to try and uh, share some of that inspiration that I get when I go out and uh, take pictures. And tell me this, you know, you mentioned there you're originally from uh, Scotland, but you're living in Devon. So Scotland is an area that uh, I think, you know, I've never gone to Scotland on a photography trip. I am planning to go in August, actually, of this year. Some people say I'm crazy to go in August. I'm going to the Isle of Skye, so it's going to be, you know, midge heaven. But tell me, um, do you find a big difference now, like when you're originally from Scotland and growing up, and then now you go and take photographs in Scotland. You're seeing it in a completely different way, I imagine, because you're looking through a photographer's eye. Is that something that helped you to reconnect with the landscape through photography, find your roots and fall in love with that again? Or was it something different? 
I think I think that's partially true. I mean, I've always, even before I got properly into into photography, I think I think when I was very young, as a, as a child, I grew up in the West Highlands of of Scotland. So I I grew up at the foot of a Munro. Every time I looked out my wow. window of the house, there was a there was a Munro. There's a mountain there. So for me. I guess I didn't appreciate it at the time because it was just there. That's just that was my back door. There was locks, there was glens, and there's mountains. And <laughs> in the winter, you you get snow, so you, you don't, I guess, learn to appreciate it. And then when I, I later moved to the city, moved to moved to Glasgow, uh, it was actually a bit later on in my life that I discovered hill walking, and that's when I started to, I think, uh, from a personal level, started to appreciate the landscape. Mm-hmm, I think mm-hmm. that's what kind of eventually drove me into the photography. Was I was going in these walks, going up these these mountains, and having these wonderful experiences, and it was it was really quite eye opener. And it kind of yeah, I did f- fall in love with, with Scotland again, and became felt quite patriotic uh, okay. about being Scottish. Um, and then later on, uh, unfortunately, <laughs> these these funny things, I didn't really properly get into photography until I left Scotland. <laughs> don't, don't. So all I do now is I spend spend my days dreaming of mountains and thinking, oh, wouldn't it be great if I was up in the mountains and it's snowing in Scotland at the moment? And it's it just my sister sends me pictures of the of our mountain covered in the snow and it's really annoying. But um, I think now that I'm a photographer, again, I, I, I think you're right. I've discovered a new appreciation for it because I'm seeing it in different light. Mm-hmm. You know, as landscape photographers, we like to to go it's stupid o'clock. You know, we get up first thing in the morning, just when the light's breaking through the clouds. So I'm seeing new aspects of of the country uh, that I had hadn't seen before. So yeah, I'm kind of again reconnecting with it, but in a, in a different way yet again. Mm. And you know, you mentioned there about uh, hill walking and hiking and such like that as well. I mean, even without a camera, you can enjoy. The beauty of the landscape but when you bring a camera i think it gives you another dimension because you're now looking at the landscape in a completely different way too and i think that's where a passion can be really not only ignited but really fueled by the fact that you're not only witnessing this and breathing in the air and seeing everything around you but now you can take a photograph of that and bring that back relive that experience again, smell those smells, feel the temperature that you were feeling that day. If it was raining, you can feel how wet you were or how cold you were, whatever it may be. So do you find that even looking at images from when your early part of photography and when you got back out, do you find that you've got a connection with those and that you can have those feelings again? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I look back at some of my, uh, some of the, let's call them snapshots, because that's <laughs> when I was out, out hill walking. I can still remember the feeling of, Standing on top of that that mountain, you know, uh, and, and and you're right. What the temperature felt like, whether it was a windy, all that kind of stuff. But I, photography, I think, as a landscape photographer, you've got to you've got to love being outdoors, principally, because, mm-hmm. as you know, being a landscape photographer is hard. You know, mm-hmm. you have to go out into these conditions, and if you're going out just in the want to take a picture, and quite often you fail at taking a picture because that's mm-hmm. just the nature of, of the way things are. You don't go out every time and capture these, these yeah. banging images. Yeah. You fail more often than you succeed. But I always take comfort in the fact that I've had a day out, I've gone out, and I've seen the landscape. So I, that, that's that's really important to me is having that love of the, the landscape. And then the pictures. And then actually more recently since I started doing YouTube as well, you talk about going back and looking at that memory. And what I find is the picture is one thing, but actually when I go back and look at my video, it, it opens up a whole bunch of new memories, you know, like 
just the experience of taking the picture, you know, what happened, what, you know, I fell over or, or something, or it rained or a mm-hmm. thunder shower came over before I took the picture. So there's a much richer set of memories there to be had through mm-hmm. this whole process of doing photography and, and doing YouTube. And video, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And actually, let, let's go way, way back. You know, how did you get started in photography now, So, I mean, you started in hill walking. Did you have, just have a compact camera or something like that with you starting off? Or, or how did you get started in photography? Where, well, where did that passion ignite from? So, I mean, <laughs> you often hear you, you hear this question asked you know, of many photographers and they say, oh, I got my father's old camera and then <laughs> I went out and I was, I fell in love with it instantly. And, and uh, I, I, I don't have that. I don't have that story. My, my photography journey is quite elongated, really. I mean, uh, as a kid, I had a little point and shoot film camera, but that's just having, as you do, having yeah. fun. Yeah, I think an interesting photography happened uh, roughly about sort of um, 99, 2000. I got a, a little point and shoot film camera that my parents gave me because I was going to Australia uh, for a year. Uh, again, not not serious photography in the sense that I'm going out to take landscapes. It's just capturing moments and the things that, things that I saw. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I got my first digital camera. It wasn't really till I think about 2007 I got the Nikon D80, and that's when I started taking a bit more of an interest in photography and now there was that little bit of overlap between yeah i'm thinking about landscape photography thinking about trying to compose my images and being out hill walking um but then yeah it wasn't until i really moved down to devon not, not as a result of moving down to devon it's just the way the timing was that's when uh i decided that i actually i like this and i really want to take it seriously and i'm going to put everything i can uh into it mm. so it's been a very long long process not a pick up a camera loved it two years later i'm a professional photographer mm-hmm. and actually i have a similar thought on that but i'll ask you the question first has was there a moment when you went do you know what yeah i think i could do this seriously i think i could actually really get into this from the point and shoot can you remember that moment i can't i can't remember there being a, a distinctive moment this is the thing is that i know people have these moments they can they can with some clarity, come back and say, "This was a moment I stood in this, and I took a picture of that." It was just a, it was just a gradual progression from being marginally interested to, to real interest. I mean, I think one of the key, the key moments for me was I got that D eighty in, in about two thousand and seven. Mm-hmm. That's when I started buying magazines about photography. Uh, but I made a commitment to myself when I bought my first full frame uh, digital SLR. Mm-hmm. I decided I'm investing a lot of money in, into this this camera because it's it's expensive for me at the time. And I said, what I'm going to do is I need to take my photography to to the next level. Mm-hmm. Using that phrase, but essentially what I wanted to do, and that's why I started investing more um, more money into it outside of just buying gear. So I, got to, uh, I found a professional photographer that I admire. I started doing some one to one sessions and really trying to to up my game. So I guess if you're looking for a real turning point, it was that point driven by a bit of gear, but that mm-hmm. commitment that I made to myself by buying that bit of gear that I was going to uh, learn properly how to, to actually do this because there's no mm. point spending that money and just, you know, Keeping it in auto. Yeah, keeping it in auto, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, the other side of that too is that when you do take it out of auto and you're first starting out in photography and you say, okay, I'm going to go into, okay, aperture priority. Fine, you can still semi-auto. But when you finally go into manual, the frustrations that people can encounter can actually turn somebody off and go, I'll never get this right and just go straight back to auto yeah. again. But it's far more rewarding, as you say, than you say, you know what, I want to learn how to do this right 
that you can now control it properly. And I think, you know, the, 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 the basics, once you get the basics right, yeah. you, it sticks with you. It's, it's really important to, to try and stick with, well, there's not there's never one size fits all, but I think I think manuals is a great thing because I think some of the frustrations people feel is, is using the automatic modes. It can be a little bit variable. You know, you can mm-hmm. take two shots in the same mm-hmm. automatic mode, but you'll get you know, potentially different uh, exposures because the camera's metered the scene slightly different because something's slightly changed. So you Change, can get inconsistent yeah. results, and that can actually make it harder. So I think using using manual to get consistent results and understanding what those what those settings do uh, is a really important skill to to learn, particularly in landscape photography. Oh, for sure. And, you know, even if we think about landscape photography now, I mean, everybody more or less uses a digital camera. I mean, look, you, you, we all have a camera on us at all times right now. It's our phone, right? And that's always going to be in auto. But when we think about how digital photography has changed the game, because, you know, just exactly this, you know, you go out into the field, you take your photograph right now, you can look at the back of the screen and go, okay, that's incorrect. I need to change this. I need to change that slightly or whatever it may be to nail your exposure. But go back to the days when we had film as an example. You had no screen in the back of the camera. You had to have a separate meter where you could measure the, the lights. And you had no idea where you're getting it right or wrong until you brought it down to one hour photo and you got it two weeks later or whatever it might have been. And you go, 36, okay, I'm looking forward to opening this. And you see there's 34 of them that have been either overexposed, underexposed, and you have two shots and the composition is off and it's not in focus. And you're like, ah, damn, it's gone. Yeah, so, so, I mean, that's why I feel quite fortunate, Darren, because I, I never really started doing landscape photography it was only ever digital so i never had that pain of having mm-hmm. to go through the film i mean i did have film cameras but the point and shoot for for taking snapshots really so fortunately i've only ever been in the in the digital world so mm-hmm. i feel i've uh, i feel thankful to have missed out on some of that some of that pain and anguish i think so too i mean in a way you know digital photography has changed the game in total because you can get that instant gratification you get that photograph you can see it in the back of the screen you can make the adjustments but if you don't understand the exposure triangle from a fundamental point of view you're not going to know what's gone wrong well exactly you can't you can't look at the back of the camera you got that instant feedback uh, and realize it's wrong you need to know how to not only identify that something's wrong but how mm-hmm. to correct it and if you, like mm-hmm. you say if you don't know that exposure triangle you don't know how to use a camera you don't know how to adjust certain settings you can't correct that so the the speed of looking at the photographs all very well but you still got to know what to do in order to to fix that absolutely absolutely and you know you've mentioned there from the outset that you're a landscape photographer like myself landscape photographer did you try other genres of photography um over the years yeah, actually, I mean, back in I think it was about 2013, uh, I was working with working beside a guy, and he was running a a music website doing doing reviews of albums and, and concerts and stuff. And we got we got chatting, and I says, "Oh, did, who who does who does your pictures for your for your gigs?" Uh, he says, "Oh, I, 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 no one really." And I says, "Oh, I've got a camera." Uh, I can do that. I can do that. You know, total, total chance in your arm. You know, a guy with a camera. I can do that. I thought I could do it. Uh, I said, "Aye, let's, let's, aye, let's do it. Aye, come along. I'll, I'll get you on. I'll get you on the get you on the list." And, and we started, and and pretty well from from there. Uh, I, I, I did a, quite a lot of live music um, photography over the sort of last, well, I guess, eight years. Less so over the last two years for okay for obvious, obvious reasons. reasons. Yeah. Um, but really, I found it. I started off doing it because. I thought it was something exciting to do, but also, you know, most landscape photography is done during the day, isn't it? You know, mm-hmm. and I wanted a way to uh, use my camera when I wasn't going out shooting landscapes. I wanted to be able to practice on my camera. And I thought the 
shooting the gigs and the and the local concerts was an Good idea. ideal way of doing it. And it's um, it's a very challenging form of f- photography. Quite a lot of pressure. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you got you shoot landscape doesn't work. Big deal. You go home or the light doesn't mm-hmm. happen. But you know, you're in there. You've got three songs. You've got to nail the shot. And what you've really got to learn how to do is use your camera. You've mm-hmm. really got to. You can't be looking at the controls trying to figure out which one's the aperture again and, and, and how do I change the ISO? You've got to be able to hold the camera up to your eye yeah. and change everything without thinking. So you build mm-hmm. up all this muscle memory and you understand your camera. And that actually translates quite well into the world of landscapes because what you can do is if you're out in the field and you've got quite a dynamic scene going on, there's light changing, you want to change the settings. If you're not thinking about how to change the settings, you freed your mind up from a whole bunch of other baggage. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, how do I change yeah. that? I, I, I don't know. Um, and all that, all that practice has allowed me really to focus on composition. I can mm-hmm. look at the scene and I'm not thinking about the, so much the technical aspects of what I'm doing in my camera. So it's been really beneficial mm-hmm. um, in that aspect from a from a from a landscape photography. But more than that, I I, I do really enjoying I've, I've shot some big festivals like um radio one big weekend I've oh nice some big bands like coldplay and uh very good uh, mumford and sons and stuff like that so it's been it's been really rewarding i don't talk about it particularly much i don't talk about it on youtube there's a small section on my website but a separate section for for that kind of photography but um it's more it's just something for, for myself i was mm-hmm. actually really hoping to get get a couple of gigs done over the next uh, month or so, but they've all been cancelled, unfortunately, Ugh. again for obvious reasons. So yeah. it's proven problematic to to get back into it. But um, not that yeah. the weather's any better outdoors with the landscape. So yeah, not doing much photography at the moment, unfortunately. Well, you know what you say about doing the gigs. I mean, the advantage there too is that you get to go to a gig, you get to listen to music, you get up close. You know, you're kind of backstage pass per se. Plus, there's music there as well, so you're getting entertained while you're doing this. Now, it depends on the music, obviously. Sometimes, music. yes. I was, about, yeah. I was about to say that is sometimes I've seen some stonkers, some, some really good bands. I, I'll give you one of the examples: uh, Mumford and Sons, which I photographed at, at the Radio One Big Win. Never really interested in Mumford and Sons. Watched them live, blown away. Big fan now. But I've seen some, yeah, some bands that just left me cold. You know, mm-hmm. you, you do your three shots and you're like, oh, shall we go? Yeah, let's just go. And you walk out the door. You've, yeah. you've got your picture. So yeah. it's, a, it's a curse and a blessing. But no, it's more than anything. It is a blessing. And you're right. We get, I, I've, get, I've seen some bands in some really unique situations down in the pit. Uh, it's, it's, it, can be, it can be really exciting. I've, I've photographed some of the bands that I love the most, like Snow Patrol. Class. Uh, I got to photograph. Um, a couple of years ago, and that, that was a that was a real buzz mm, for yeah, sure. Photographing Gary Lightbody, so yeah, it's 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 been yeah, it's been quite quite a privilege. And, and you know, something else that comes from that was you're talking about it got me thinking. You know, you're you're shooting in low light, so it, you have to know a lot about the settings of the camera. So it yeah. actually teaches you a lot more innately without actually going to actually learn that because you're learning by doing and you're now going okay i'm in this light you've got a red light you got a blue light you got a green light they're changing constantly you've got a spotlight it's a very very dynamic scene so you have oh, to yeah. be on yeah. point because you want to capture that moment when somebody's catching a microphone or whatever it might be you need to get it straight yeah. away you're changing aperture potentially you're definitely changing iso you're changing shutter speed you're changing focusing modes. You're changing, uh, oh, you sometimes change metering modes as well. There's a lot you've got to change. And like I said earlier, you've got to, you've got to know how to do that without looking mm. at the camera. You've mm. got to know where the buttons are. 
and that yeah. really helps. And so landscape is kind of a, a calmer scene. It's more relaxed. You know, it's at, at your own time, even though the light can be very dynamic and you can be frantic at time, depending on the time you're shooting. But I don't think it's going to be as fast paced as a, a live gig trying to capture that moment because it's it's the subtle thing, subtleness in somebody's facial expressions or a certain moment in a song when they're in a certain poise or whatever. They're the kind of banging shots that yeah. you want to get, you know. So, yeah, I think there's a lot to be said for that. Yeah, and the good, the good thing with YouTube is actually, you know, a lot of performances and bands, because they're touring, uh, you, you can actually, if you do your research, as I do, is I'm going to go and see a band for the first time, I'll see what uh, how they do their performances on, on previous videos. So you can you can preempt those kind you know of magic when. moments. You can mm -hmm. know when they're coming. So it's, yeah, it's good to do a little bit of homework in that sense as well. Yeah, no, that's interesting. Yeah, good insight there. Now an extra, extra bit of a bonus point. Yeah, yeah, it's good, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, something I think, is that, you know, we think in relation to landscape photography and that it's easy, right? Uh, or that it's hard. It depends on what your outlook is going to be. It can be easy because, you know, okay, I don't have to pose a rock, but I have to pose a person for a wedding or a christening or whatever it might be. Um, you know, it can be hard because you'll go out in all different types of weather. You know, you might look at the forecast. I mean, I often joke, and probably very similar in the UK as well, you know, the forecasters here have the easiest job. It should just be very simple. Cloudy, chance of rain. And that yeah. will cover most of the things that it's going to be. So, you know, with that in mind, like what, what has been your biggest challenge to date? Now, of course, you know, besides getting up at ridiculous, ridiculous o'clock to get out and get the photographs in the morning, but what has been your biggest challenges in the landscape photography point of view so far? I mean, the, the biggest challenges for me, it's, it's less actually about the photography, it's about time. Okay. You know, um, time is very uh, precious to me. I don't have a huge amount of it. And it's just trying to find time to do photography um and i'm trying to fit it in amongst a, a, a busy working life a busy family life i know that's something that you, you can appreciate mm -hmm. um so the, the biggest challenge is actually just getting time to go out uh every every now and again i get to go on a, a little photography trip and i find that really freeing i was just recently on a, on a photography trip away for a few days and um i i found myself much more relaxed uh, and able to enjoy the photography more and actually do a little bit of experimentation. So okay. I was able to do a bit of ICM, something I'm not, not say not that interested in, but just something I've never had the time to, to experiment to with. Yeah. So I think the, the, the biggest, the biggest limits around my photography aren't the ideas that I've got for photography or the things that I want to shoot, uh, or even the ability to execute those ideas. It's just actually having the time yeah. to actually do it. And, and trust me, I, I make, Photography is my number one thing. Uh, I call it my full-time hobby because <laughs> it's virtually everything I think about yeah. all the time. <laughs> Even when I'm not doing photography, I'm thinking about what I'm going to do next or I've got a long list of things that I want to do. Um, but my ideas and the number of ideas uh, far breaches my avail availability of, of time, unfortunately. Mm. And, you know, with that in mind, I suppose, with the challenges that we have, I mean, you know, on the flip side to that, what has been your biggest achievements to date and again you know besides managing to get up at ridiculous o'clock to, to get out Do you know what you talk about ridiculous o'clock and yes it is ridiculous o'clock but it's actually my favorite time of of day to get up uh it, it, it oh yeah don't get me wrong when the alarm goes off it's yeah. a bit of a you're like oh my god am i mental yeah <laughs> but once i'm up and i've got the cup of coffee and i'm, I'm driving off to a location and it's dark still uh and you and i get into dartmoor and i walk up a hill and i get to the top of the tour and the sun's, the light from the sun, sun's not up, but the light's just starting to come up. And, you know, it's just a special time. Mm -hmm. And I, I forget about 
the alarm clock at that point. I just feel this, this is great, you know. And yet, particularly during the summer, alarm calls are three o'clock in the morning. You know, it's it's, <laughs> it's not it's not pretty. Yeah, I do value this time more, more than than I do actually the sunsets. I actually like getting up in the morning, going out, doing something, taking a photograph, making a video, coming back, having breakfast, having a cup of coffee, and think I've done all that. And now mm-hmm. I've got still the whole of the day to go. So the whole day. I, I, yeah. I, 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 I do like getting up at silly o'clock, which is probably just as well being a being a landscape photographer. But I think in terms of greatest achievements so far, I mean, I think I'm proud of myself for the fact that I've managed to build a small YouTube channel and stuck at it because you always worry that when you start something like a YouTube channel or a blog or a website, you think, yeah, I'm going to do this and I will mm-hmm. keep on going. You think the back of the mind, you think. I might give up. You know, you, mm-hmm. you always get a feeling that I might give up. So I've managed to stick at it. Uh, you know, mostly through the ups. You know, you get the occasional down, but I've managed to stick at it. But in terms of my photography, I mean, I've had a couple of images uh, commended in Scottish Landscape Photographer of the Year. Very good. Which is, as I mentioned earlier, I'm, I'm very proud to be Scottish. So having taken out and taken pictures of images in Scotland, and then having those recognised in a in a Scottish Photography Awards. Uh, Makes, makes me makes me really proud and mm, uh, absolutely that's probably some of my um the, the things that make me happiest in my uh photography and um i think also more recently i've started to do some documentaries on, on youtube about some photographers and stuff like that so i'm really proud of the way that those have those have been turned out and and, and being received so mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah it's a lot of these creative aspects of uh photography um yeah keep keep me going uh, absolutely and you know look you you know you mentioned a couple of things there and i kind of want to expand in them a bit further right um first one if we go back to getting up early in the morning um i think i agree with you as well i mean it's very hard to get out of bed in the morning but i think that you get one up on everybody else by getting up early in the morning yeah. because everybody can experience a sunset not many people experience a sunrise unless they're coming home after a night out or unless <laughs> well, they have to have a few of those, eh? <laughs> yeah, right or unless they have to get up you know to get early, to travel for work or they've got young kids and they're up yeah. all night whatever it may be but to be able to get up early get out there and witness something that a very very small percentage of the population is actually actually witnessing but never mind say witnessing yeah. photographing videoing and getting to experience as well so that's the first thing i think which i think is a good point in relation to you know the advantages of getting up early in the morning um when we think in relation to you know, you say about uh, having commended images from an area itself. I think that's a huge achievement as well because it's recognition of the area. But you being proud to be Scottish, I'm proud to be Irish. I mean, it's very, very similar mm-hmm. from my point of view as well, you know, to be recognized in, in, in that field. But the final thing I think, and I, maybe I want to expand a bit further on that is from the YouTube point of view. And I know we'll get into YouTube in a moment, actually, actually when we get to part two, right? But um, I think YouTube is something which is a very good motivator to be able to do something because you want to get up, you want to get that content. You don't want to miss out. You want to keep your streak going. And that gives you the kick in the backside to actually do that. But the more you use something by default, the better you become and the more comfortable and then the more enjoyment that you can get out of that. Yeah. So like, do you find that, you know, do you look back on your YouTube videos that you might've made two years ago, three years ago and go, Jesus, I, I thought that was great at the time, but now I'm, I'm way leagues past that. And that only comes, I think, from repetition, do you know? Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, obviously experience always helps when it comes to, to creating videos. But when I look back at my, my earlier videos, I don't, I don't cringe. Okay. I, I have changed my um, 
presentation style, shall we say. But that's not a change in the sense I'm trying to be someone that I'm not. I'm actually trying to be more of who I am. And it was, mm-hmm. it was quite a funny uh, situation. I was uh, I had a mate down, Gareth, Gareth Danks, who's also a, a YouTuber. And I know Gareth, yeah. You know Gareth, right? So yeah. he's a bit of a character. And I was showing him around my local area, and he was doing the filming. And I was just mucking about with with gareth having a bit of a laugh and he was filming it and stuff like that, and it was just, just general larking about and uh he posted up the video and, and and someone made a comment on 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 his video saying oh yeah yeah i watch i watch julian stuff he's never like that he's, he's never <laughs> like that in his own videos you know i don't think he called me wooden or, or anything like that and it just made me think am i am i am i coming across well Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I had a look back, and I thought, yeah, actually, maybe be a little bit, a little bit flat here. Um, so I've kind of that's the only thing I look back at when I look back at some of my older videos. I'm a bit kind of straight, straight faced, and I, probably because I'm concentrating more. I think that's probably sure. what it is. Yeah, you know, like say when you do it in the early days, you're trying to remember all these things. You're, you're rigid. Yeah, you're rigid. That's it. That's the word I'm looking for. Rigid. And so I feel that my my videos are hopefully a bit more of my true personality, but comes through and i try and be a bit more enthusiastic mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm, but you know mm-hmm. I, I i look back on all my videos and, and, and they're a great memory they, they, mm-hmm. they really are even if no one watched them we all want our videos to be watched but even if no one watched them i've got this fantastic catalog of experiences i mean i was looking at one today uh going back because I was, I, was, I was writing a talk and uh, i was looking at my video from harris and lewis and it just brings back so many yeah. so many memories of yeah. what happened utterly fantastic experience it was so uh yeah no i i i like looking back on the old stuff and uh there's always stuff to be learned but certainly not embarrassed by it yeah i don't think so either i mean you know i i look back on mine all the time and just to be able to see where i've come from and where i am now and i mean the only reason i made my youtube channel was it started as a laugh with my friends um you know i was out taking photos one day and i remember we were watching some thomas heaton video and he did something in the video and i went oh, i'll record this and sent it off to the lads and they were laughing and i went i might try one of these for the laugh and i tried it in that way but after i made the first one i kind of said you know what i'll do i'll make the ch- i'll make the channel not for me or not for my audience which sounds selfish in a way because i'm making it for my kids because when i'm dead right. and gone they'll have something that they can look back on and what what I did, where, why I wasn't there when they woke up for breakfast, why I wasn't there, you know, when they were going to bed for, for after dinner, I was gone. And I think in that way, hopefully it will ignite something in them as well to be able to see and ex- see where my passion was, because I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm very similar to you. I live and breathe photography. I mean, it's something that's always there in my mindset. I'm always thinking about that. And an image is one dimension, well, two dimensional. Um, a video is effectively three dimensional because you've got, you know, they got the sound, you've got the motion and everything else as well. And I love that to look back. And even now, um, my eldest, who's seven, you know, he'll want, he'll want to know, okay, what's happening there on the, on the videos coming out on Sunday? And he'll see me editing it and he feels, oh, I'm getting an insight into daddy's video before it even comes yeah. out. You know what I mean? So I think you can probably have a connection with others without even knowing it, but I wanted it that way. And already I'm starting to see that. So I think it would be probably a good one as well, you know, from your own kid's point of view to be watching. Well, it's funny you say, I don't mean to burst your, your bubble, but my, my kids used to watch my YouTube videos, but yeah, yeah, less, less so now, now, now that my eldest started high school, she's a bit, <laughs> uh, dad's a shadow, you know, <laughs> so, uh, enjoy it while you can, Darren. That's all, that's all I can say. <laughs> I've all that sorted to, to look forward to. That's the fight, but that's going to come my way. <laughs> yeah, it's inevitable, mate. 
<laughs> well, you know what? If I can get them out as well to some of the locations that I would have visited as well, you know, I mean, that's another side of things, I think. Which no, it's, it's great. And I take, I take my kids out into Dartmoor as well. And we got a dog a couple of years ago. So we do spend quite a bit of time up in Dartmoor. You know, mm. they, 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 they claim to hate it, but I think deep down they have a bit, they have a bit of fun and they like to, to run about. Absolutely, absolutely. And you know what, speaking of locations, I noticed that you something which is a very interesting idea. You've got a locations map. Tell me a bit more in relation to that. How did the idea come together and tell the, the listeners more about that? Right, so, so the locations map, um, how, how it came about was obviously got a YouTube channel, got an audience, but I wanted a, a kind of more, uh, not personal connection, but I wanted to, to create a, a, ded- a more dedicated community around the the, the people that, that follow my work and I thought the best way to do that uh, is, is, is a mailing list so I can talk to people directly because the people that sign up to a mailing list tend to be for the most part they're already invested in you and they want to know mm-hmm. more about you it's mm-hmm. a thing that they have to do they have to actively go and uh, sign up to a mailing list so to me that gives an indication that I am interested in this person I, I want to hear more, more about them mm-hmm. but equally you still need to give people a reason to subscribe to you to your True story, yeah. Uh, yeah. And I, I, I'm not selling anything. I don't, I don't, I don't sell anything in terms of my photography system. I don't use a mailing list for that. I just want to be able to reach out to people and talk to people because uh, I do. I send out newsletters and I get, I get emails back, and so it's, it's a really nice way of communicating with people. So in, in order to try and uh, encourage people to, to sign up to my email, I need, you need to give them something. And I thought, well, I know. Uh, at the time, I think I've been writing my blog for nearly five years. Um, so I had a whole bunch of blog articles uh, and videos covering that five-year journey. And I thought, well, you know, people can go to the blog and they can scroll through and they can maybe find something. But what if I, I could put that on a map? Mm-hmm, okay. So what I did was um, I painfully <laughs> went through five years of blog posts wow. and uh, used a custom Google map, stuck a pin in it where the location is and, and uh, a URL to that blog article. So people can go to that map. And they can say, oh, I'm going down to Devon and Cornwall. Uh, oh, I can see and I can see where Julian's been. I can have a look at that blog post. I can see what he did in that, that pitch. Oh, there's a video he did there as well. I can I can watch that. It's just to give give people something back and, and a different way of them being able to find uh, some of the content that's been on my um, my website. I think it's a brilliant idea. Um, and you know what I'll do, I suppose, in the show notes, I'll put uh, a link as well to your website where people oh, can go. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. If, yeah. if people just go to the website, there's a there's a button at the top or a link that says free locations map. Just go there, stick in your email address and uh, you, you get instant access to it. Brilliant, brilliant. I'll be sure to do that, I suppose, I put it into the show notes anyway. What I'll do there, Julian, is I'm going to take a very quick break. It's been a fascinating first part. I'll take a quick break and I'll be right back after this. If you're enjoying this episode of the Irish Photography Podcast, why not jump back and listen to the back catalogue we have of episodes, where you'll get some great insights from fantastic guests, gear reviews, lots of hints and tips, and above all else, keeping you company while you drive or relax. Thanks very much for listening. Please consider subscribing, leaving a review wherever you're listening to this podcast. And you're very welcome back to the Irish Photography Podcast. So, Julian, um, printing. Printing is something I think which is very, very important. Talk to us, I suppose, about your approach to printing. Yeah, printing is very important to me. Uh, in fact, um, I kind of I, I can't remember exactly how I got into printing. Much in the same ways, I can't remember how I exactly got into <laughs> photography. To be honest, um, well, I do. I do well, actually, I do. I do. Remember, I don't remember why I decided to buy a printer, but I decided to buy a printer. Uh, I went to the photography show. Uh, I went to the stand, got a bit of a show bargain, picked up my printer, 
got it home, plugged it in, printed off an image. And I just thought, wow, that it was already one of my favorite images. And then all of a sudden, there it was in, in, in front of me, and I, I could hold it up. I thought, it's so much better. Mm-hmm. It looks, I'm even happier with it. It's just a much better experience. So, pretty well from that point onwards, I, I just I've printed most of my work, even the images that aren't aren't so ga- uh, aren't so good. I mean, in terms of approach, how I approach it, there's no real secret sauce. There's no there's no magic. There's no special thing that I do. I mean, I try to make life as simple as possible for myself. So uh, I've got a calibrated monitor. So I know I've got the brightness turned down. So a very common problem people have with, mm. when printing at home is they're using their monitor out of the box and the brightness is turned up to nuclear. Mm-hmm. So they print something off and, and it comes out dark. So, you know, having that kind of calibrated monitor at the correct brightness helps a lot. And I, uh, I've got custom profiles for the for the paper that I use as well with, with that ink. So it doesn't get any really need to get any more complicated than that. So I never mm. really have any problems. So I, I find an image. I take one of the, the papers that I have. I normally have about four or five. I use photo speed papers. And um, I, I pick a paper and people say, what paper do you use for what types of images? Whatever paper you want. So okay. I'll grab a bit of paper, put it in, print it off. What does it look like? Maybe I'll print it off in another paper. So I try not get too hung up on, you know, this is how I do it. Just it's, I like to enjoy my printing much in the same way as I like to enjoy my photography. I don't, I don't want to make it too onerous and complicated. I just want to mm-hmm. print images and, and watch some uh, come off the printer and, and enjoy them. Yeah, and you know, I think that's a very interesting approach to it because it's a very relaxed approach. It's not a stressed approach. It's, you know, you know what you need to get done. A very good tip there. Turn the you know, the brightness down on the screen because I've had that exact same issue. You know, I'll get an image all done, print it out. It comes out dark, and I'm like, okay, hang on a second. So I have to go in and adjust the exposures or whatever it may be. But natural fact, it's not the exposure. It's my screen that's setting it off wrong. And then you go through a fortune of ink. And then you kind of go, Jesus, man, this is useless. I'm after wasting all this paper, which is costing money, ink. And it turns something which should be a pleasure into a pain. Yeah, and, and printing should be a pleasure. And it, and it is a pleasure. It's just a couple, like many things in life, just needs to be a little bit of preparation. Get your monitor set up. I mean, even when I did my, my first ever print, it was a Canon printer. came mm-hmm. with some Canon super glossy paper. Okay. The profiles were already there for me. So what I do is stick the paper in and print it off and I get a brilliant image. So um you just a little bit of little bit of preparation and it doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be particularly complicated at all. Yeah I must say though one thing that frustrates me about printing is I don't print that often. And when I do print I go through having to, you know, clean out all the heads and everything else. And it takes ages then for the printer to go through all that self-calibration. Yeah. All of a sudden you go ink levels. Okay. And they don't go, okay, hang on. Every time I want to do that, I'm and then when I eventually get to print, I'm like, I'm out of my light gray or whatever it might be. You know, that's where I find the frustration because I don't do it often enough, I suppose. Yeah. You've got, and the approach I take is, you know, people leave comments on my printing videos. My photography is not good enough to print. Well, that's not, ah. that's not the point. Well, people are saying that. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. People do say that about my photography as well, but you know, it's a whole different conversation. <laughs> but yeah, people say, I'd like to get a printer, but my photography is not good enough. Well, that's not the, that's not the sole purpose of printing. I don't just print uh, a five-star image. I get every six months. If I'm lucky, I get a five-star image every six months. But you know, I don't. I don't wait for the absolute banging image to say, 
I'm going to make a print of that. Mm -hmm. I, what I'll normally do is I'll go out, do a shoot, process my image, and then regardless of whether it's okay, good, or really good, I'll make a print. And then I'll stick it on the wall behind me, mm -hmm. and I'll just leave it there. And I much prefer to uh, look at my images in, in printed form. And you learn more from a printed image than you do you do on the screen. You spend more time looking at yeah. looking at that print. And I'll give you a really good example of, of what I'm doing at the moment is I came back from Iceland, took a whole bunch of photos, as you can imagine, mm -hmm. and I managed to sort of cull them down to a set that I would process. And I processed them all, and I was still left with a lot of images. And, and you know, some of them look quite similar. I just thought, I don't know what to do. I'm feeling a bit lost. I don't know how to decide which ones are really good mm -hmm. and which ones are just good. So I thought, I'll just print them all off. So I just printed all these photographs off of all these scenes, for example, Vesterhorn. They're all behind me at the moment. Yeah. But what I found is by having them printed off, even I can look at them even more objectively. And I'm starting to go, actually, that is a better image because I'm looking at one side side by side. And I think, actually, that is a better image than that one. That is composed better or that one's got better better light. And that, that process of printing all your images, good and bad, can help you be quite objective about your photography and, and to learn and understand what's working and what's not working in your images. So I'd always encourage people, if they get a printer, just print everything. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. and they'd be, mm -hmm. well, what about the cost? Well, yeah, you know, ink, ink, ink's not ink's not cheap. Mm -hmm. um, but if I look at my photography as an expense overall, uh, it probably cost me a pound. But it costs more in the paper than it does in the ink. Mm -hmm. But it probably maybe cost me about a pound fifty to make a print. Mm -hmm. I spent more on petrol getting there. Yeah, it's actually in 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 big context of how much photography costs. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's a cheap, it's a cheap hobby, by the way. It's the cheapest it's, hobby you could ever have. Uh, like. Yeah, yeah. No, 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 no one's listening. But you know, <laughs> um, the actual the, the the creation of the of the print is actually a, a relatively small cost. And, yeah, and yeah. That's why I embrace it so much. Just print, 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 and uh, I think you'll learn more about your photographs that way. And, you know, something else that comes to mind from that as well is, you know, we mentioned about the advantages of the digital era, but this kind of goes full reversal because by printing it, you're actually creating something from away from a digital screen. And we live in a world where we're constantly going things very, very fast. Yeah. You know, if it, it grabs our attention, even our own stuff, you know, it's just going very, very quick. But you can actually take the time to sit back, to study an image as you walk past it. I'm looking at the images behind you here and like straight away I'm looking going, okay, Vesterhorn, it looks beautiful, okay. You know, I can see the the beach in Vic and such like that. And there, I'm saying, yeah, geez, they look like lovely images. But when you're walking past them every day, you can pick it up and you can look at it in different types of light. You can take yeah. it with you. You can study it. You get the tactile feel as well of holding something in your hand. And I mean, I remember when I did the podcast with Adam Gibbs and Thomas Heaton, I was talking in relation to the adventures of books because you can sit back with a book and immerse yourself in a book, but try to do that on a phone for an image. It's gone in the blink of an eye. So mm -hmm. I think there's a lot to be said what you said there, you know. Oh, and, and, and people will appreciate prints. I mean, going back to my, my music photography uh, and the chat that I've been working with, I made a book for him uh, to celebrate. I think we've been doing it I can't remember, five, ten years, whatever it was. Uh, and I put a collection together of all the photographs and all the venues that we've been to. Okay. And I gave it to him as a as a Christmas present. And he was like blown away. Mm -hmm. He was like, "Oh, this is amazing!" You know, I know I've seen all these pictures. I've published them all on my website. But actually, looking at them in, in yeah. the book just all brings brings it home. So, yeah, the the, the book, the printed format of the the picture is. Um, yeah, while we've all gone digital, I, I, I you know, it's, this is one thing that probably shouldn't be a, a lost art in, uh, yeah. in this physical uh, world. 
Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and I suppose with that in mind, you know, you mentioned there in a second about, you know, you'll, you'll print most of your images just to see what they're going to be looking like so you can touch them and feel them and such like that. Do you take special consideration then when you're in the field knowing that you're going to print an image? Do you do anything differently knowing that you're going to print the image thereafter? Or has it just become part of your work process or your photography process overall? Yeah, it's just it's just a natural extension to to the, the my photography workflow. Obviously, when I take a picture, I think, "Oh, this might look quite good as a print," but it doesn't. There's no need for me to change change what I'm doing. I'll take mm-hmm. I'll take the picture, go home, process it in exactly the same way. But again, because I've got that that workflow sorted, I don't need to do anything special either in at time of capture or or post processing. So mm-hmm. I can go through my flow, hit print, get the print. So. I like to keep things as, as simple as possible. Yeah, job done, job done. And I suppose, you know, speaking of print as well, you mentioned about photo speed. I was at the photography show in 2019 uh, and I saw you give a very, very good talk. It was really honest, you know, it was really open. And I think it was something that a lot of people could relate to in the way you were presenting and such like that. But you were talking as well about your passion for print. Um, like I know I was supposed to go back in 2020 and I couldn't go because of that. Twenty. 2020, I think it was virtual. 2021, it happened in September. That's right. Um, yeah. So, like, do you enjoy events like that, and do you miss the photography show? Oh, I, I love events like that. Uh, so, I've I've been every year to the photography show. Obviously, like you, it wasn't there in 2020. I did go in September there. Uh, I was going even further back than that. Before it was a photography show. It used to be a show called Focus and Imaging. Okay. Uh, much smaller show, still at Birmingham. Um, and I went, I went to that as well. But yeah, I do try and go every year. I'll try and go again uh, this year. We are now in 2022. So I really enjoy them for a whole bunch of reasons. Um, I just like going about. I, lo- I love photography. So I like looking at the stuff. Mm-hmm. I like, uh, I get to, it's a great opportunity to, to, to meet people as well. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. you speak to a lot of people online, never get to meet them. So it's really good. You get to bump into people and have a chat. Uh, and also, I do love a good show bargain. You know, I'm, it's, it's one time a year where I maybe spend a little too, bit too much on stuff that I probably didn't need. Saying that, I did buy a printer, so that was that was a worthwhile investment. I, I, I consider. So, yeah, no, I, I I really do I really do enjoy it. Yeah, you know, uh, the time I went there myself and Dermot, the host of the podcast at the time, with me, um, we had a great laugh. I mean, it was great fun. We went around as if we were the big big knees coming over from Ireland. We were interviewing loads of different people. Uh, I even got to use some Zeiss lenses after that because we would up talking to the Zeiss stand. They went, oh, we'd love to yeah. have a use off the lenses. And they went, yeah, sure thing. No problem. We'll send you over. And I was like, whoa, okay. And I think from that point of view, it was a real eye opener for me of the, the plethora of suppliers, manufacturers, yeah. you know, distributors, the different types of products that you never even thought existed. And there they are. You get to touch them. You get to feel them. You get to see these things that you could dream of that, you know, phase one as an example. I'll never get to, to buy a phase one. Okay, well, I can look at one or whatever you, it may you can be. Pick one you know? up, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Again, it's that, that, that connection you can make with, with people. So uh, I've, I've met, you know, spoken to lots of people online. There's a, there's a, a lovely person called Ellen Bonus. She does these photography guidebooks. I've been speaking to her in email for a bit and, and, and done some uh, stuff in the books and on videos. And it's the first chance I got to, to speak to her was after mm-hmm. the show. And it was just just really nice mm-hmm. getting to speak mm-hmm. to her. I mean, I, I think maybe some of that was come on because we've all been in lockdown. So actually just getting out and talking to people, was, yeah. <laughs> it feels all new and, new and exciting. But you're right, actually, and you discover these new products and you just get to chat to people. Um, mm-hmm. 
Because, you know, as, as you know, being a landscape photographer, it can be quite a solitary pastime. Yeah. You know? yeah. And, yeah. And we probably value that solitude a lot, a lot of the time. Um, but it's good to get together every now and again and, and just talk rubbish. Uh, and, and sometimes about photography as well. Yeah, that's over, exactly. a beer, over a beer. Over yeah, that, a beer. That, that, that's exactly it. I remember I, I met Mally. Uh, I'd spoken to Mally a number of times, and then I met Mally at the show. And it's like as if I'd known Mally for yeah. years, you know. Um, and, you know, James Burns and stuff like that. There was a number of other people that I met uh, that day. And these are memories that would stick with you from the people, the laughs that you have, you know, yeah. the, the crack that you'd have. Crack in Ireland is the Irish word for joke, not cocaine um but you know no, no, the, it's the, the same in scotland so okay yeah there you go yeah. You. yeah um but <laughs> you know the national yeah for the international <laughs> audience yeah we're not going and doing you know copious amounts of crack as in what you would call but it's copious amounts of fun well, and jokes anyway. and stuff like that. yeah yeah not at the photography show um but like one bit of advice i would give to people is if you suffer from gas you know just make sure that you do have a kind of a, a tight seal on the wallet because all things shiny are at these shows and it can be very easy for us coming from Ireland. It's a bit more difficult because you can't bring it back on the yeah. plane to come back over home. But if somebody can travel there by car, be careful because you could fill up a yeah. boot. Don't go with an, uh, an open wallet. I always go with a plan of what I'm going to buy. And then I hope mm -hmm. I get a bargain for it, but I've, I've never gone there and on spec and just purchase something for the, for the hell of it. For the laugh. <laughs> yeah. Touch wood so far anyway. So far. Yeah. So far. 2021, 2022 might change that. Yeah. You never know. Yeah. Um, so I think we just touched, we touched earlier on, I suppose, Julian, in relation to um, your YouTube channel, you know, um, like what made you think about moving and uh, from a, a, a photographic form into a video form to document these things? Um, was it something that you had said, you know, I'm going to give it a go because I want to do this or I'm going to give it a go because I want people to see that. What was the motivation behind setting up the YouTube channel? And then, as you say, keeping it going because you have been uh, very, very consistent in keeping that going over the years. So tell me how it all kind of started out. Did you did you know what you were doing to start? Uh, not really, no. I mean, uh, where it really started was uh, I made a decision that I wanted a website. Uh, somewhere to put my portfolio. I call mm -hmm. it a portfolio, but back then, uh, let's say the photographs not being quite <laughs> portfolio quality, but that's, that's, that's a different thing altogether. So I wanted a website, and uh, and one of the things you do when you when you get a website, obviously having a website is really important for for a photographer because you want to have your own home. That's mm -hmm. what I always say: have mm -hmm. a website, use social media, use those platforms, but I always use them to drive people back to my website, back to my yeah. home, back to where I'm in control of who mm -hmm. sees what. So anyway, I wanted to start a, a website and I thought, and, but the thing is you want to keep a website up to date and, and fresh. And you can't do that just with a portfolio page because okay. you don't get portfolio images. Like that. Mm -hmm. You get one, two, six a year if you're lucky. So the common thing behind that was you do a blog. I thought, right, I'll write a blog. That's quite easy. I can do that every week. Mm -hmm. I can go out and I can write about my adventures i can share the pictures it doesn't have to be a good picture i can just say this is a rubbish picture this is why it's rubbish this is what happened mm -hmm. uh, and it was only a few weeks into that where i thought actually i could probably add video into this and um it may be a cliche these days but i was i think i just discovered thomas heaton and, it, okay. and i did get quite inspired I, he was doing a lot of the lake district stuff and he was telling stories about his local landscape. And I didn't want to replicate Thomas, but I felt I was inspired enough to thought I could, a video would be an important thing to do, but I've got my own story to tell. Mm -hmm. I'm in my own 
different part of my own photographic journey at, at the time. I'm shooting a completely different landscape. I've got a whole different uh, approach. Uh, and I thought, yeah, this would also be uh, complementing the blog quite well. I was enjoying what Tom was doing. I thought I could give that a go. So I started. Like like anyone else, you start with zero subscribers, with nobody giving a, a flying monkeys about what, what you're going to say, and then just build it up. But like the blog, when I started the blog, I made a commitment to myself. I thought, I'm not going to be one of these people that writes a blog, gets about three months into it, and then stops. tails off. I said, I will write a new blog post come hell or high water every week. And I actually stuck to that for five years. Wow. Every week, without, wow. with, without fail, and it's only just recently I've taken my foot off the gas just yes. a, a little bit. Um, uh, and the video has just been a natural extension. So I haven't posted, every, I haven't done a video every week, um, but I've done a, I've done a north of 170 wow. videos now. But what keeps me going is principally I enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And I've got lots of ideas, and I love sharing my adventures, and it's just good fun. Mm. Um, and I get a, a lot of nice feedback, a lot of community from it, a lot of interactions. Um, so yeah, it, you, you got you've got to be able to enjoy it though. It's hard, hard work, as you know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely. It, 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 some of the skills get easier, but it's quite often your skills get better, your ideas get bigger. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's it's hard work, but yeah, I enjoy it. And you know, I think the other side too is that it's another dimension to your photography because another, a number of people over the years would have said to me, "Geez, Darren, how do you do it?" You know, I mean, you're going out and you're taking your photos. So it does not distract you now that you have to do the video and you got to set the second camera up. You're carrying more. You got to think of what are you going to say. You got to talk. But you kind of get used to it, and you, yeah. you it kind of becomes part of your 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 flow and such like that. So I mean, it's it's a good thing. I think I enjoy doing the video very similar to you for that reason. But like for somebody that hasn't watched your channel, maybe oh, tell us what can somebody expect from your YouTube channel? What's your elevator think, pitch for your YouTube channel? <laughs> <laughs> I think I think at the 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 core of of my channel is hopefully remained remained the same, and that's just a, about me sharing my photography adventures. I'm not they're selling books or calendars or, or workshops. I'm just a person with a camera going out uh, and trying to convey that passion and, and really trying to inspire people through the various types of, of video that I do. So for the, for the most part, you'll just find me wandering about Dartmoor, trying to find compositions and, and, and taking pictures. Okay. Okay. And on your channel, you have a quite a mix of different topics and such like that. I mean, you know, you do gear reviews, you do your vlogs, you get some great tips and such like that and how to be able to take the photographs, etc. Of that, what do you prefer? What's your favorite part of your channel to make? I mean, without a doubt, the favorite part is actually just being out, out in the landscape and, and, and shooting videos. You're right. I do do a, a few other things. Uh, I do do the occasional gear video. Probably done more gear in 2021 than normal. Because mm-hmm. I wasn't out as much with the camera again for for obvious, obvious reasons. reasons. Yeah. I think when it, certainly my approach for gear is I, I try and where at all possible uh, mix it up with with landscape photography. So you very rarely see me in the house just talking about gear and test charts. I'll, I'll try and be out in the landscape doing landscape photography and perhaps talking about a bit of gear that I've just just purchased. Let's try and make the content uh, uh, appealing to a, a wider audience and if people. People don't always want to hear about gear. They might want to see about, about, about photography. So I do try and balance it out. But I find the gear videos quite—they're quite hard and quite stressful because they are a lot more, a lot more work. You have to convey a lot more mm-hmm. uh, information. And then some of the other videos that I do, I do. Uh, I love photography books. 
a big, big passion of mine. I've got a big bookshelf there behind me. So they're, they're the kind of videos that I do do at home. Uh, so I, I like to share what photography books are, that I've bought uh, and, and tell people about them. Because I think books, like, like we talked about earlier, a great source of, uh, of, of, of inspiration. But yeah, really, my, my favorite type is just when I'm outside because I love being outside. And mm-hmm. that's my, it's my happy place, as I, as I call it. So they're the Absolutely. videos that I like producing, yeah. the, producing the most. And you also have something on your channel as well, which is your five-minute photo adventures. And I really like that idea. I, I tried it when I first started my channel because I wanted to keep the videos as short as I possibly yeah. could because a lot of work to do. But you're kind of encapsulating them in what to expect. I mean, the difference, I think, with yours is, you know, it is five minutes or there thereabouts. I yeah. mean, you know, I remember looking at time when you know, Peter McKinnon, one of the biggest guys out there, you know, two minute Tuesdays and it was never two minutes. It was 10 minutes, it's 12 minutes, 20 minutes, you know, <laughs> none. Um, but you're, you're a five minute photo adventure. And I think that's a very interesting form because people, as you say, time is precious. So, I mean, if you look at a video and you go, okay, I want to watch something, I've got 10 minutes. Okay. I'm going to watch this. Or if I want to watch something, I see it's 25 minutes long. I'm not going to watch it. Now I'm going to watch yeah. something else later. So tell me about the five minute photo adventures. Yeah. I mean, where they started was, uh, there's a, a bit of a trend. There's always been a trend of producing longer and longer kind of video. I mean, you see some videos now, half an hour to an hour long, which I, which I do do enjoy myself. But I think if you're going to do a long video, you have to have a real story to tell. Yeah, yeah. You either have to be in a big long adventure, uh, or or you're trying to communicate a, a complex idea. And quite often, I'm not trying to do that. Quite, I'm more often not on Dartmoor, just out in the morning. I've got an hour before going to go and do something. So I'm just going to take photo. You know, I can't make a 15, 20 minute video out of an hour's worth of, of shooting. Mm-hmm. So why try and elongate it? Why not? I just, and I, and I want people to come along with me on the, the adventure. So I'll just create a five minute video. Here I am. This is what I'm going to do. Oh, look, this is what's happening with light. This is how I'm going to take the picture, taking the picture. Oh, bro. And way home now. And, and that's all it needs to happen. And, uh, I, there's no point in make, trying to make a video more complicated than it is. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And they're nice and easy for me to shoot. I'm not thinking of complex themes or even themes about the video. It's just a true reflection of, I'm just going to shoot the video. And like you say, people sometimes only have five minutes. So you can literally sit down with a cup of coffee, watch a video, perhaps get inspired to, mm-hmm. to visit a location, or even, just, even if you get inspired just to go out with your own camera, job done. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, you know, you we touched on it there a second ago, and I kind of want to get a bit further in relation to it because you have made some you know interesting uh, videos about books, and I think that is something that uh, I'm really much so. I'm similar to you. I've got a bookshelf there which has a number of different books that are there, and I look at them on a regular basis. But tell me, why is your passion so much about books? And I know I probably won't you probably won't be able to give me an answer in it, but do you have a favorite book that you go to um, very often? Do you find yourself being drawn back to one in particular? I do have a favorite book, actually. Funny, okay. funny you should say. I do have a favorite. I've got I've got a lot of great books. I've got. Um, I actually like to look at lots of different genres of photography. So I, I'm, while I, my passion is taking landscape ph- photographs, I love photography. So I mm-hmm. love looking at photographs. So I've got all sorts of different books up there. I've got a lot of landscape books, but I've got books of music photography, portraits, uh, different lots of different genres of subgenres of, of landscape photography. Um, so I've got some really, really good books there. But the one book I actually keep going back to is someone that I discovered completely by accident. And I'm pretty sure 
you've interviewed him. That's Norman McCloskey. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And Norm, I, th- yeah. I think I think actually this is how I discovered your show actually because I think uh, I was following Norman and he posted up that he was he was going to be on the on the show, uh, and his book and Bearer. Bearer. Uh, that's how you pronounce it. Yeah. I think it's absolutely stunning. I think I think it's an absolute masterpiece. I, I don't want to call it understated, but it's just it's a really I don't even want to use the word simple, it's, but it's, it's composition and, and the images in there are just beautiful. You know, mm-hmm. there's mm-hmm. not pages and pages of banging sunrises or epic things. It's just beautiful landscape scenes with subtle lighting and fairly carefully uh, done uh, compositions. Mm-hmm. I, I just think it's a masterclass. And it just reminds me of the, it's the types of images that I want to take. I mean, I like taking a banging sunrise. and I, I, I do enjoy that. But it's a great lesson for me to show that you can create really compelling mm-hmm. landscape photographs from things all around you without necessarily having the great condition. And so I often get that book out and I, and I look through it. I can't wait for, um, I think he's got a book called Kingdom coming out yes, soon. Yes, he does. I cannot, for the love of money, get a copy of Park Life, which was his no. previous book. I even asked him, I said, have you got any Park Life? He says, no, no. <laughs> he promised to contact me if he, if he, if he comes across any. But um, I, I think that's one of my one of my one of my favorite books just for the sheer quality and style of the of the photographs it's a it's a brilliant book it's um, a well laid out book as well it is it the is front and cover it, the gold leaf and the way he's got the contrast and images and it, it's it's been well thought out in terms of well curated history. and yeah. the for, the forward by neil jordan as well i think is really yeah. really good and you know i mean i have a personal connection with that because bearer is in my county which is in cork and i think bearer is an area from a photographer point of view that is completely underexplored oh i i tell you I, I, I am ashamed to say darren i've never been to ireland we'll have, we'll have to it, fix that someday we'll have to get you over great great shame in life that i've i've never been but I, but getting that book just it put, it put it on the map it just i have to i have to get there someday because it just looks beautiful, it, it reminds beautiful. me a bit like harris you know that kind of true wilderness raw such a variety raw that's a great word yeah yeah variety of landscape and i, I think it's a it would really, really appeal to me. Well, I just just on the topic of bear, I suppose, just as a side note, um, when we we were on lockdown here, we couldn't go anywhere, you know, and then eventually we could travel within our county. And the first place I went to was Bera, yeah. and I discovered something which I never even knew existed, but it's the the, the highest or the, the the tallest waterfall in all of Ireland and the UK, and it's in Bera, and it's called the Mayor's Tail, and I never even knew it existed, and there it is. Yeah. Uh, on my doorstep you know right, and i mean <laughs> yeah and that's the thing i think because Bera, you could get lost in Bera for such a small area it's just a peninsula um but such beauty there and it's raw beauty and again you know it doesn't need the banging light it just it's like it's like as if the landscape has a texture and you can see that yeah. in norm's book you know and i think he's done a phenomenal job in that norm is a great photographer and when you know when you do come to her not if when you do come it's to her definitely Ireland, a when yep yeah um you'll have to go and visit his gallery as well in yeah. Kenmare because some of the images that he has in there are absolutely uh phenomenal phenomenal he's so yeah a supremely talented photographer yep yeah and he's a very nice guy as well to boot which makes it even better you know <laughs> um i have one final question for you before i go for my last break there julian right and it's a question that i've only started introducing the podcast in recent times and i think i think i'm um, looking forward to getting your answer uh, in relation to it and it could be a quite of a topical question i think um is is it the photographer that creates the image or is it the scene that presents itself that's an, yeah, that's an interesting question. I don't think it's a one or the other, but what I would say 
as an answer to that question is the scene has to be there in the first place. You mm-hmm. you you can't create a photograph of nothing. You know, people will argue this point, which I'm sure they will do as as you ask this question on on, on future future podcasts. But for me, I think the scene has to have something. It has to be able to present something that you want to photograph, and then it's then the photographer's job to use his camera to capture that through the composition or, or weighting of light, what he includes and what he excludes from the frame. That's where the photographer comes in. But ultimately, the scene has to be there uh, in the first place. It's got to present something. It's got to connect with you. You've got to, you've got to, it's got to speak to you and you say, I actually want to take a picture, picture of that. Mm-hmm. And then it's your job to capture that image. Uh, very good answer. Yeah, very good answer. Very good answer. Okay, well, look, on, on that bombshell, I'm going to take the final break and I'll be right back. I do have three staple questions I ask every guest and I'm going to ask you as well exactly the same questions. So I'm looking forward to your answers on those. We'll be right back after this. If you're enjoying this episode of the Irish Photography Podcast, why not jump back and listen to the back catalogue we have of episodes, where you'll get some great insights from fantastic guests, gear reviews, lots of hints and tips, and above all else, keeping you company while you drive or relax. Thanks very much for listening. Please consider subscribing, leaving a review wherever you're listening to this podcast. And you're very welcome back to the final part of the Irish Photography Podcast. So, Julian, like I say, I have three questions I ask every guest. First question. A funny photography story. What's yours? <laughs> well, yes. I don't know if it's if it's necessarily funny, but it's, I guess it's more of a uh, an amusing anecdote. I mean, as as landscape photographers, we, we tend not to to meet people very often due to the unsociable hours. So, uh, and, and let's face it, most humorous things happen when when you're with other people. Mm-hmm. Um, it was actually I was up in Glencoe. Uh, it was a, it was a, it was a few years ago, and I had this shot. Envisioned in, in my mind, and I knew I was going to have to uh, wade out into the middle of a river to get it. So I thought, well, he's not going to suffice. So I borrowed a pair of chest chest waders uh, from my my father-in-law. Sorry, not chest waders, uh, just normal normal waders. Anyway, so I drove up to Glencoe, parked my car, got the waders on, and started walking across the the moor to the to this river. And there was already someone out there. And I thought, I wonder if it's a fisherman. And it wasn't. It was a it was a another another photographer who also mm-hmm. happened to be wearing waders and I thought eh, this guy's got the same idea as me so waded out in the water I mean, you, naturally you got you got I got chatting and stuff like that uh, and the slightly amusing part was uh, we got said well what's your, what's your name and he went oh my name's Johnny I went oh nice to meet you Johnny uh I says I'm Julian Julian Baird and he went no he went why he says oh I'm Johnny Baird and I went no way <laughs> yeah Johnny Baird <laughs> You're Johnny Baird. I said, even for, even that, my brother is called Johnny Baird as well. So we got chatting as well. A couple of Bairds in, Ch- in in these waders stood in the middle of this freezing river in Glencoe in February. So, it, it, yeah, more, more of an amusing thing. But it just shows you strange things can happen when you when you get chatting to be a very, very nice chat. And I had a good Was it from Ireland? Do you know what? I think he might have been. Yeah, I know Johnny Baird. Yeah, yeah I know Johnny do, Baird. Do you know Johnny Baird? He, he does um, quite a lot of... Who did quite a lot of Astro? Astro, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's yeah. him. He's yeah, he's he's elusive. No, we're looking for him. We haven't seen him with a camera in his hand for months. Yeah, that's amazing that you. Yeah, just, so I, I met him. There. It was just it was just funny that he happened to be a bird and he happened to be wearing waders and standing in the, <laughs> in the same river at the same time. I thought, what 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 the, what are the chances of that? Coincidence or what? Yeah. Huh? Or fate? One of the two. Fate. One, of the, one two. of the two. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Second question: What gear do you shoot with? I am an old Nikon man so uh for <laughs> well i started out shooting nikon when I, when I 
first got uh, we started thinking more about photography a bit more seriously. So I currently shoot with a Nikon Z7, okay, uh, and I've got a Nikon ZFC as well. That was principally bought as a video camera, actually, despite okay. its retro styling. But as it's turned out, it's been a very handy second body uh, and takes uh, very nice pictures in its own right. Uh, I've got 14 to 30 Z-mount lens for that. That's really my go-to landscape lens. Mm-hmm. Absolutely fantastic. Uh, a great improvement on the old 16 to, to 35 for the, for the F-mount. Mm-hmm. I like shooting a lot of stuff wide, so that's why it's my kind of go-to lens. Uh, just recently got the 24 to 120 f4 lens from from Nikon. Nice. So that's going to be my uh, other other lens, and that's pretty well going to be the two lenses that I use with the Z7 for doing almost all my landscape photography. Uh, I'm a big fan of renting gear when I need it. So, Good idea. Yeah. Uh, the, on the odd occasion, I will perhaps need something a bit longer. I'll I'll just rent it. So if I am going on a photography trip. Um, for a week, I'll just rent a lens. There's no point in me spending two and a half thousand pounds on a on a seventy to two hundred f two eight when I'm not going to use it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'll, I'll just idea. rent it. So yeah. the fourteen to thirty, twenty four to twenty one twenty are my my go to lenses. Both native Nikon Z mount. Uh, I do have a macro lens, um, and I've got a couple of uh, Viltrox lenses as well. They're they're kind of third party prime lenses, but I mostly use those uh, for video these days. And what legs do you sit it all on? What's your tripod? Uh, my tripod of choice is a Getzo. Nice, nice. Got, and, and and you'll be pleased to hear that, Aaron, because I do listen to your show. <laughs> I I treat it with the... I don't treat it with a huge amount of respect. Okay. So, uh, like most of my equipment, I look, I, I look after it, but at the end of the day, it's a tool. Yes. And... I will quite happily stick those Getzo legs into a sandy beach oh, I and get them covered in salt water. It probably makes you cringe. I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah, it's 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 got quite a few chips, dents, stuff in it, but it it still works. And I just wash it off when I get back, and it's it's survived. It's, I've had it for a good few years now. Photography show bargain, got a hefty discount. Just as oh well. yeah, gas is strong in that one. Yeah, yeah gas is strong in that one. Um, <laughs> so it's a, it's a great bit of kit. Um, but yeah, it's a tripod, so it's fallen over, dropped it, stuck it in the sea, everything. And final part then is, what do you put it all in? What bag do you use? Just very recently, um, I've bought a um, Shimoda Designs Explore V2 30. I bought that bag principally because I was going, I was going to Iceland and I needed something that was carry on. Mm-hmm. It was my first international mm-hmm. national trip. Um, so yeah, that that's what I've. I did have a an f-stop bag, a bigger f-stop bag, but that's when I had the uh, digital SLRs and bigger lenses and stuff like that. So I can get away with a, a smaller bag. But the the tripod isn't my VSP, by the way. Oh yeah, okay. Go on, tell me what is your so VSP? My VSP and the thing that I wouldn't leave home without, of, no matter <laughs> what the legs, is a geared head. Ah. I'm a massive fan of the geared head. That is my. One thing that I can't can't live without. I don't get on with ball heads. I love geared heads. I love the precision of them. It doesn't matter whose geared head it is. Okay. Uh, I've got I've got my current geared head is one from a company called Sunway Photo. Yes. A GH Pro Two. Very nice bit of kit because it's got built in leveling head, so you can do panos with it as well. Um, but yeah, geared heads wouldn't wouldn't leave home. I, I'll use any tripod, but I wouldn't have a geared head on top of it. And do you find it a bit heavier than it needs to be? Um, it is heavy. I've gradually, so I started off with the Manfrotto geared head, 
Okay, which, which is might as well as weigh as heavy as the moon. Yeah. Uh, and then I moved to the Ben Row, which was quite a bit lighter. And I've subsequently moved to the Sunway Photo, which is lighter again. Uh, it's more compact. And I think it's only now, I think it's about, I say 600 grams. It's, a, it's, it's ah, in or okay. around that area. Okay. Um, so, yeah, it's more compact uh, and, and actually has more features than some of my previous gear heads. But yeah, I, don't, I don't care what gear head it is. I, I, I live with any as long as I've got one. Well, I was only thinking about them recently. I was wondering, should I get a geared head from that exact reason that, you know, you are, you can be precise. You know, you know, once it's locked in, you're locked in. You're not going to mess around in relation yeah. to it. Um, the head on my Gitzo tripod, I absolutely hate. Uh, I just think it's a disaster. Um, and I've started to look at different uh, head now that I can utilize. And, you know, yeah. I was I was looking at the Sunway, actually, and I was thinking, OK, should I do it? Should I go for it? But I kind of want to think about it a bit further because it's a commitment, number one, to be able to do that. Um, and number two, I suppose, you know, when you think, OK, so the, the, the cost, um, you're going to have to make sure that you know what you're doing because it'll be difficult to sell it thereafter because it is a small market, let's just say, for yeah. a resale point of view, you know. So interesting. Uh, it, it is a bit of a learning curve particularly that Sunway one, because it works slightly differently from the other two that I've had previously. But gearheads in general, they seem like a total faff at the time. But once you've spent a bit of time with them, mm-hmm. you'll you'll never go back when it comes to landscapes. Just that ability to, to change one axis at a time. And if you're like me and you like to be quite precise with your mm-hmm. compositions, because Dartmoor can be quite messy. So you're always thinking about what you're including and what you're excluding from the frame mm-hmm. and just being able to adjust it bit by bit just to get maybe in a rock in the in the right place rather than just releasing a thing and then moving yeah, your ball head about and, and trying to get it back yeah uh, yeah I'd, I'd never go back very interesting very interesting okay well julian we have almost reached the end of the podcast i think it's been a phenomenal conversation i've really, really enjoyed getting your insights into you know your approach to photography um two final things to ask you number one what's next Besides coming over to Ireland, but yeah, what's next? And where can people find more information on you? So what what's next? So the the plans for for this year, obviously, just carry on with the, with the YouTube channel and, and the website and, and producing content. I'm working on a long term project on on Dartmoor. Very nice. Very much inspired by a chap called uh, Nick Livesey. I know uh, Nick Livesey. I don't yeah, know him. I know of Nick Livesey. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and uh, I see a, doc- a documentary about him. Um, about halfway through the year and he said something that really connected with me and he said uh, I, I'm going to paraphrase a little bit but he, he loves uh, he loves Snowdonia that, that's where he lives, that, that's his mm-hmm. passion but he says you can't claim to love something unless you know it and that means everything mm-hmm. you know the language, the culture the history, the people and he has invested his, he's really his entire self into that area mm-hmm. of Wales. And I, and it made me think, you know, I say, you know, I love Dartmoor and I love going out and photographing it, but how well do I know it? Actually, Point, I don't yeah. know it that well at all. Mm-hmm. So how can I claim to, to love an area if I don't know it? Mm-hmm. So my long-term project, which I have no idea when the, when the end date is, um, is about exploring more Dartmoor, but more than, just the photography side of it. I want to okay. learn more about particularly the geology of that area and and the people that work there, the people that work there now. I'm really trying to expand my my knowledge to get a proper appreciation. So that, that's going to be a long-term project for me that I will spend quite a lot of 2022 doing. Uh, I hope to do another, I mentioned a couple of times, some of the, the documentaries that I've done. I'm 
hopefully going to be making a documentary about quite a high profile uh, landscape photographer this year. So we're just in the early planning stages of that. So I'm really excited Super. about doing that. And then I guess in terms of my own sort of personal photography, uh, touch wood, uh, I've got a trip to the Faroe Islands coming up in a few months time. Very good. Uh, and yeah, if it all gets a bit less COVIDy, perhaps a little trip to, um, to Ireland. It's always at the back of my mind, Darren. So it's it's never that far away. It's not that far away anyway. So it's not that far away anyway. Yeah, I've, I've got I've, got, I've kind of got to go up the country. I've got to go into Wales and then across. Or I can fly. So uh, yeah, you can fly yeah, so too. That, yeah. that, that's what I'm more of the same. But I've got these these, these projects and documentaries. Sounds interesting to, to, to work on. Yeah, I'm looking forward now to continuing to following your journey. Anyway, you know, I think yeah. it's uh, it's been fascinating so far. Um, and I think you know, for somebody else who wants to follow your journey, where can they find information on you? It's, as I said earlier, it's all on my website. That's that's my home. Um, so they go to julianbaird.com. They'll find links. Uh, they'll find all the content there, all the videos that I do, blog posts, uh, pictures, everything. But there'll be links there to all my social media channels, Instagram, Facebook, uh, all, all the normal t- uh, Twitter, etc. So you can that's the home, and you'll find everything else from there. And I'll bang it all in here into the show notes as well so that people will be able to find those as well. Julian, it's been phenomenal. Thank you very, very much for taking the time to chat with me. Um, hopefully, I'll meet you in person uh, someday soon anyway. And I, I look forward, like I say, to continuing to follow your journey. So thanks a million for coming on. Oh, thank you so much, Darren. I really appreciate you asking me on. It's been a real honor. Thank you. Thanks, man. Until it's, until we talk again, Shalom Gafol. Hey, guys. If you dig what you're hearing, why don't you jump over to iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Give us a five-star rating, and don't forget to share with your friends. With all that done, we'll see you next week, and remember, keep shooting.